Father, we love you. Lord, we need you. And God, we ask for your help this morning as we consider your word. Uh, Lord, uh, the pictures in, in this Genesis account are so instructive. And, and Lord, it's amazing how your word applies to our life. And even in looking at hard things in your word, we just see the encouragement of the Holy Spirit taking your word and, and showing us how it applies to our life. God, how you are at work in the lives of your people, it's just obvious, it's evident, and Lord, I just ask that you'd give us eyes to see it. Uh, Lord, you know, I'm, I, I know just enough, I'm just talented enough to confuse everyone. <laughs> Would you take the weakness of my flesh, the stumbling of my lips, and Lord, would you just set all that aside and, and God, open your word to us this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to worship. Uh, Lord, I pray that everything that we do today would instruct us to be faithful, uh, to be faithful stewards. Lord, that we would be worshipers of you in spirit and in truth, that we would take the whole of who we are, uh, the resources that you've entrusted us to manage and that it would just all be to your glory. And so God, give wisdom to my brothers and sisters to manage their lives for your glory and how they use their time uh, and how they invest their resources in the tithes and the offerings. Uh, Lord, when you call to sacrificial giving, Lord, help us to hear what your spirit is saying. Help us to be found faithful. And then Lord, uh, use, our, use our life, use our mouth, Use our witness and testimony to bring glory to you. God, would you open doors for us for the gospel of Jesus Christ where we live and where we work. Lord, would you help us to build relationships with the lost. Give us capacity uh, to continue to do that. Lord, we want to be used to build your kingdom for your glory. And we ask for your blessing over our lives today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to see the curse of Canaan. Genesis chapter nine, uh, Canaan didn't do anything. Ham is a perpetrator and, and, and his child, Canaan, gets, gets cursed. What's up with that? Well, we're gonna see what's up with all of that. Genesis chapter nine and verse 18. Uh, we're focusing in now on the sons of Noah. The sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan, so you'll want to remember that. Verse 19, these are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Within his tent. So he got drunk and ends up buck naked in his tent. And in other words, it's not that he forgot to pull up the comforter when he went to sleep. Uh, he forgot his cover. No, he has no covering on his body. He was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, again, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. 
and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. So what we're seeing here, particularly in verses 18 and 19, is the the peoples of the earth in the line of these three families. The the Genesis 3.15 prophecy concerning the Messiah, the skull crusher. Uh, This has has begun to focus in. We're gonna get to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but what we'll be seeing over Genesis chapters 10 and 11, uh, starting here at the end of Genesis 9, is that the focus is gonna be on the family of Shem. But Shem, Ham, and Japheth, this this is the root of the peoples of the earth. Um, Ham, he receives the blessing that we saw last week. He gets a blessing from God. So Noah knows better than to curse Ham, so the curse is passed on to his sons. You know, man, I tell you, the sins of the fathers are visited on the children to the third and fourth generation, aren't they? The earth's population, though, comes from these three sons of Noah, and they form the three major racial categories of humanity and three major language groups. You've got Shem, he forms the Semitic or the Asiatic languages. Ham forms the African languages, and then Japheth would form, or he would head the Caucasian or Indo-European languages. So these three boys are, uh, one of them is your great, 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 one of your greatest grandfathers, okay? Now let's look at Noah in verses 20 and 21. Noah began to be an husbandman, he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. So what we're gonna see here is it never pays to get liquored up, it never pays to get drunk, Verse 20 defines a husbandman as one who plants a vineyard. He is a gardener. He's got this vineyard and the grapes, they get ripe and he wants to preserve this fruit and so he drinks of the wine and and it could be that Noah was surprised by how intoxicating the beverage was. Uh, Again, we know that the atmosphere has changed, don't we? Before the flood, there's only a mist that comes up through the ground After the flood, it rains. Before the flood, there's longevity of life. After the flood, with each succeeding generation, the lifespans of humanity, the lifespan of the generations continue to shorten. So Noah getting surprised by how the the wine is gonna mess him up, that would be consistent with his character. Noah is a just man, he's upright. Uh, he is walking in godly character. And so, you know, maybe, maybe he just slipped up. But here's what the Bible says about alcohol and drinking. We know that fermentation is a natural process. It's a way before freezing, before refrigeration, uh, before, you know, before all of the modern methods that we have to preserve fruit. Uh, fermentation, making the making of wine was a way to preserve those calories. It's a way to preserve the food of the grape. We know from the Bible that wine is beneficial. Uh, did I put these in your notes? I think we've got the cross-references. You know, Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake. He's got often infirmities. He, he, he's, he's got some stomach problem, and so Paul prescribes wine to him Uh, to take so that it will settle his stomach. 
wine in the Bible is a symbol of great blessing. Uh, Jesus blessed a couple in their, their it's, it's the wedding feast, they run out of wine and, and Jesus' first recorded miracle in the Gospel of John is this turning of water into wine so that the marriage festivities can continue. So while fermentation is a natural process, drunkenness in the Bible is strictly condemned. Hello somebody. It is never right for a believer to be out of his mind on some substance that is mind altering, that is not proper. The Bible is very clear on this. In Ephesians chapter five, we are told, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. In other words, you can drink a beverage and it will take you, it will mess you up, it will take you out of your right mind. Instead, the Christian is obviously commanded to be filled with the Spirit there in Ephesians chapter five. Drunkenness is absolutely condemned. You know, there are some, wine, wine is in the Bible. People are drinking wine in the Bible. Uh, some of you, you know, you can never touch the stuff. If you take one drop, you know where that will lead you. That is a slippery slope to losing everything. Uh, some will never be able to taste it. Some will never be able to drink it. My mom gives the story of how, you know, so my, my uh, grandfather, uh, he was a bootlegger. And uh, apparently pretty good. His product was in high demand. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, corn can be turned into a, a, a pretty ferocious substance. And you have, to, you have to ferment it, you have to distill it. Um, what you're doing is you're getting the, the secrets out of the corn and you put it into a bottle and, and uh, you know, especially during Prohibition, people would go to the hills of the Ozark Mountain and, and, and they, would, they would find the corn liquor. I'm not saying that, that before he got saved that my grandfather was a wise man. I'm not saying that. But what he did is he gave my mom, he gave her this corn liquor, uh, the, these distilled spirits. She's a toddler, she's a child. And she said, it's one of her early memories. She drank it and she loved the way it tasted. How does a, how does a toddler love the way corn I mean, hard liquor taste. She said she loved it. And, and once she saw how it affected people, so dad's just get, granddad's just giving her a taste, as she's growing up, she's watching alcohol destroy the lives of people, and all of a sudden she realizes, oh, I can never drink alcohol ever, 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 because I will end up, inevitably, I'll end up a drunk. I'll end up an alcoholic. It is, so the Bible, wine is in the Bible. Drunkenness is absolutely prohibited for the believer. There's never a time in your life where it's okay for you to not be sober unless you are in agony. The example would be of dying. Strong drink, you give to who? You give to the, the dying. Uh, my kidney ruptured when we started LFBI. It was horrible. <laughs> it, I, I never knew what pain could be like. Okay, I'd never, I, I broke my back. I mean, I crushed L1, okay? Um, I, that was, I mean, that hurt, but that was nothing like this kidney pain that I had. Uh, I threw up from the pain. I almost passed out from the pain. It, it hurt so bad, and, and, then it, and then it started getting worse. <laughs> and then the fever came on, and I writhed in pain 
I writhed in pain for a week, a full week. It was horrible uh, while my body was reacting to this. And the whole time I'm in the hospital, I'm thinking, thank God for whatever's on this button. (laughs) And I couldn't mash that button enough. I knew that the way it was calibrated, I couldn't overdose on it. And so just the second the light went green, boom! (laughs) And I remember telling my wife, if they didn't have this button, you'd have to break me out of this hospital and we would have to go find some hard, hard chemicals because I wanna be passed out for a full week, right? I wanna be passed out for a month if that's what it takes, waiting on this sucker to heal up. It was just horrible. Strong drink is for the dying, why? Because you want them out of their mind. Does that make sense? God is full of compassion. Okay, so that's 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 the boundaries on alcohol in the Bible, but you need to know this. Drunkenness and nakedness go hand in hand. Drunkenness and nakedness go hand in hand. Now, why do you think that is? Well, remember when we saw the fall in Genesis chapter three, uh, we discovered this principle. Satan unclothes, God clothes. Satan is all about people being naked before God and man in their sin. God is all about covering people in a righteous way. Adam and Eve, they're covered by the righteousness of God, the light of God in the Garden of Eden. He's clothed, God himself is clothed with a garment of light. Uh, so they're naked, they don't, they don't have shame because they, they're, they're, they're still in the innocence of sin, but Satan's all about getting people naked, the, the sin of their nakedness. He wants that on display. And so we saw that in Genesis chapter three. Drunkenness and nakedness go hand in hand. In Habakkuk chapter two, verse 15, there's a warning. Verse 15 says, woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also. Why did, you, why did you wanna get your neighbor drunk? That thou mayest look on their nakedness. What happens when people get out of their mind on alcohol? Well, they lose their prohibitions, next thing you know, they're buck naked. I don't understand that, I can't explain that, I just know it's a thing. Uh, I saw it firsthand. I never got anybody naked in, uh, that's not, that's not technically true. I've got three kids. Uh, I've gotten one person naked a lot, but, uh, uh, (laughs) so, so that came out wrong. I've never gotten anyone drunk ever. Okay, but I saw it happen. Okay, so now fast forward a generation. I'm a little dude. Uh, my dad decides he wants, to, he wants to make wine, and so he gets a recipe, and he follows the prescription, and he makes up uh, a, fi- you know those, uh, before the, the, the water bottles were these big glass, I think five gallon glass bottles. So he had one of those, and, and he turned that into his distillery, and, and uh, he followed the recipe, he made the wine, and then when it came time for the tasting, uh, I, I remember this very vividly, because I'm a little dude and I got to taste it and it was nasty. I mean, that was just horrible. And my dad tried and he's like, this is nasty. I mean, just why would anybody drink this junk? And so it went into the storage room in the basement of our home. And there it just sat undisturbed for about 20 years, just hiding out in the dark where it was then discovered by my little brother and his friend who was over to spend the night and, and they found some grape juice just hanging out in the storage room 
And it's just been, okay, all I know is my brother comes upstairs, he's about 14, 15 years of age, and, and he's like, I can't remember his friend's name. We're just gonna call him, let's call him Ted, okay. You gotta come downstairs, something's wrong with Ted. <laughs> something's wrong with you, Tom, what's wrong with you? I mean, what's going on? Well, you know that bottle, that big jar of stuff, we were drinking it and uh, something's wrong. You got so they liked the way that it, t- so they're just having fun drinking this stuff. And, and so I, I go downstairs with my little brother. He staggers down. Okay, so I can't find him. He's nowhere. I'm like, where did he go to? I don't know. <laughs> oh, you know. So, you know, some drunks get mad, some get weepy. Obviously, my brother's a weepy drunk. So he's like, oh, no. Boom, the, the basement bathroom door just comes busting open, and out comes Ted, naked as the day he was born. <laughs> looking right at me, but he does not see me. He is looking right through me. Staggers over, good thing it was laundry day because the laundry was right there outside the basement bathroom door. It's there before the, la- the, the washer and the dryer. He comes staggering out, does a 360, does a header into this laundry pile and immediately starts throwing up. Like he's gonna drown in his own vomit. I flipped him over and you know made sure he could breathe. And, but it was just bizarre. I'm like, why did he come out of the bathroom buck naked? Well, because drunkenness and alcohol go hand in hand, but drunkenness and nakedness go hand in hand. Why, you, why do you make him drunk? That thou mayest look on their nakedness. Woe to you. Listen to God's view on this. Verse 16, thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also, and let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee, and the shameful spewing, and shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. God says, you'll find out what it's like to be abused. You abuse people this way. Intoxication leads to sensuality. Uh, You see it in the case of Lot in Genesis chapter 19. Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. They're hiding in the the mountains of Zoar and and the daughters think everyone's gone and, and there's no way to preserve the seed of their father and so they get him drunk. Verse 32, Genesis 19, come let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him. That is a, a, a way of describing sexual intercourse, to lie with someone in the Bible. That we may preserve seed of our father and they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. Let the whole church say, ew. ew. Yeah. And he perceived not, he's so drunk he doesn't know what's going on but he's obviously able and willing. He perceived not when she lay down nor when she arose. Didn't even know what happened, he's so drunk. And then the next day, the firstborn says to the younger, I had intercourse with our father last night. Let's make him drink wine this night also and go in, go thou in and lie with him that we may preserve the seed of our father. So they do it again. And the younger daughter, I mean after dad's fully drunk, has intercourse, again they think they're the last three people on the planet extreme measures, and, and again, there are at this time in biblical human, human history, there are close marital relationships, okay? But it's never been that a child would be with a parent. In Esther, in Esther chapter one, you see it with Ahasuerus in verse 10. 
uh, when the, the, the drinking starts and the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commands the chamberlains to come out. Sensuality and wine go hand in hand. You see it in Daniel chapter five with Bel- Belshazzar. The king makes a feast to a thousand of his lords. It is the party of parties and, and while, verse two says, while he tasted the wine, he commands the temple vessels to be brought out so that they can party with them. They'll get drunk using the, 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 the vessels when, when Jerusalem was conquered and the temple was sacked, these temple vessels were brought back to Babylon and so they're gonna use them uh, to party, to get, dr- to get drunk and this is when the, the hand of God writes on the wall and, and, and you know, Belshazzar sees it and it freaks him out, scares him so bad, he messes himself. But drunkenness and sensuality go hand in hand Okay, so in verses 22 through 24, here is Noah, he's uncovered within his tent, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without, and Shem, Ham, and, Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward, why? So that they won't see their father's nakedness, and they're gonna cover him with this, uh, with this garment. So they went backward and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backward. They were facing away from the nakedness of their father. Their faces were backward, why? And they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. He knew what Ham had done unto him. And so he curses Canaan and blesses Shem and Japheth. Okay, so what's going on here? I would just encourage you Let's be biblicists. Let's stick to what the text says, okay? Let's just make that the, the determination of our heart. Uh, what does it mean, though, that, that Ham saw the nakedness of his father Noah? You just need to know there are a lot of views on this. Um, seeing nakedness has a connection to Leviticus chapter 18, so you might be turning there in your Bibles or your app and uh, get ready, we'll, we'll look at some of this. But um, a lot of people will, will, will see that Ham saw the nakedness of his father. They'll make the connection with Leviticus chapter 18 and the, the fact that Noah awakes and he knows what his younger son did unto him, okay? And then they will infer from that a few things. And so let's look at them. These are traditional rabbinical views, okay? And, I, and I, I was able to confirm this. I think we were traveling somewhere on a plane and, and there was a rabbi on the plane. Was it certainty or what was it? I think it was certainty. And, and, and I just said, hey, I'm gonna, you know, I wanted to be able to give the gospel to him and, and uh, trust the Lord to open the door uh, to proclaim Christ as Messiah and, and all of that worked out. But in the process, I'm using Genesis chapter 10 uh, to chum the waters for the gospel. Can you believe that? <laughs> but uh, I knew it would work, and so, uh, sure enough, the, the rabbinical views are still being taught uh, in, in rabbinical school today. Uh, one of the views would be that, that what Ham did in seeing his father's nakedness, and again, this is a traditional rabbinical view, is that Ham castrated his father Noah. So talk about family issues. Uh, that, 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 w- that would be a family issue or that Ham slept with Noah's wife. One of the views would be that he saw his, what, what would his father's nakedness be? 
Well, in Leviticus 18, his father's nakedness, we're gonna see, is that of his spouse. Her nakedness is actually his nakedness, and that's confirmed in 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Um, So he saw his father's nakedness, and so what they're saying there is that that would be a reference to Noah's wife. So could it be that she's not his mother, she's a stepmother at this point? Did his birth mother pass away before the flood? And Noah is actually remarried um, before they get into the ark. And then with that view, the implication is that Canaan was the offspring of that union between Ham and Noah's wife. So the view is Noah and his wife got drunk, end up uncovered in their tent, and then Ham basically reps, uh, rapes stepmom. And this is why the curse would fall to Canaan. And that would be another way to view Leviticus 18. Uh, the other traditional rabbinical view would be that Ham was involved in a homosexual attack against his father. That while his father slept, there was a homosexual rape that would have taken place. And then the other view that, that I would urge you very strongly to consider is that what happened was a Sam, or Ham, not Sam, <laughs> Ham, I wasn't there, okay? was that Ham saw his father naked and he responded with disrespect. Proverbs 30 verse 17 says, the eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young, and the young eagles shall eat it. Man, hello somebody. Honor your father and mother so it will be good, right? It will be well with you and you'll live long in the land. See, the key to understanding the word of God is you wanna pay attention to the words of scripture. Words is your next blank. Genesis 22, or Genesis 9, verse 22, says Ham, the father of Canaan, what, what's the text say? It says he saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And then his two brothers, what do they do? They take a garment and they lay it on their shoulders, right, they're holding it between them and they're walking backward in the tent. With, so just... Imagine with your mind's eye, Noah buck naked in his bed here. So they're walking backward with this garment on their shoulders to lay it. So by the time they get to Noah's head, his nakedness is covered. You see that? That's what the text says that they did. So they went backward. They covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. So based on the immediate context of what Ham's seeing, what Ham's seeing of his father's nakedness, if we're gonna compare scripture with scripture, why not stick with the immediate context where the issue is explained? The immediate context tells you that Ham was out of bounds based upon a wrong look. He was completely out of bounds with looking wrongly. The text and the context indicates that Ham's sin is one of looking, but there has to be more, right? I mean, he knew what his younger son had done unto him. So what about Leviticus 18? Let's look at it. Leviticus 18, verse six. None of you shall approach any, so this is when, this is, Leviticus 18 is when Sister Levin um, goes, goes away. Up until this point, people would marry they're sisters, they're half-sisters. This was common in the ancient world. You gotta remember, we're 
starting from one family, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. So where are you gonna find a mate? Well, obviously, you grew up with your spouse in that context. So here's where we have a shift. We wanna make sure the genome stays intact and so you don't get to uh, pursue marital bliss with your, your family relation. None of you shall approach to, to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. This would be a reference to having intercourse. To un- uncover someone's nakedness is to have intercourse with them. And I mean, obviously, tactically, that's practical. It's really tough if everybody's covered uh, to, you know, get your swerve on. Okay, so he says, I am the Lord. The nakedness of thy father or the nakedness of thy mother shalt thou not uncover. She is thy mother. Thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of thy father's wife shalt thou not uncover. It is thy father's nakedness. So Noah is naked. The Bible says Noah is uncovered in his tent. Ham sees his father's nakedness and he tells his brother without. Can it be Noah's wife? Well, Noah uncovers. He's, He's the one that's naked in the tent. And in Leviticus chapter 18, in verse seven, it says specifically, you don't uncover the nakedness of your father or your mother. There are two different people being referenced here in verse seven. The nakedness of thy father's wife. You don't get to have intercourse with your father's spouse in Leviticus 18 uh, and verse eight. And then verse nine, the nakedness of thy sister, the daughter of thy father, or the daughter of thy mother, whether she be born at home or born abroad, or even their nakedness, thou shalt not uncover. So at this point, Adam's, or I'm sorry, Abraham's relationship with Sarah would have been prohibited. Uh, But they're a lot earlier than Leviticus chapter 18. And then all the way down through verse 19, you find everyone that you do not get to have sex with listed out for you very clearly, very biblically. So we wanna stick to what the scripture says and if you'll look at Genesis chapter nine, you find out that the words are different. In Leviticus chapter 18, we're talking about uncovering nakedness. Here in Genesis chapter nine, we see it's an issue of seeing nakedness. Does everybody see the difference? Leviticus 18, thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of your near relationship. Here, Ham sees the nakedness. of. So it's two different words, why? Because they have different meanings. Uncovering, in Leviticus chapter 18, is a transgression of the law, and it's dealing with sexual sin. In Leviticus chapter 18, all but one verse uses the causative form. Leviticus 18 is talking about those, right, improper sexual behavior. You're getting them naked for the purpose of intercourse. In all of Leviticus 18, all of the verses use the causative form. You don't cause someone to be unclothed so that you can lie with them. Okay, they're your near kin. However, in Genesis chapter nine, Noah had already uncovered himself. No one uncovered Noah, but Noah. Noah is the one that got buck naked. So it's the reflexive form in verse 21. It's not causative, it's reflexive. And the text says that Ham saw him that way. But the Hebrew expression here in Genesis chapter nine, when it says Ham saw his father's nakedness, well, it means what it says. So why is this a big deal to Noah? I mean, Noah, it's your bad. You got drunk, you got naked. Ham saw it and told his brothers. He made a little fun of you. What's the big deal? Well, remember the big deal. 
Remember Genesis chapter three, verses seven and nine. When Adam and Eve, they took of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, what was their first response? The nakedness of their sin and rebellion before God, it's fully on display. What do they do? They hide and they cover themselves because the nakedness, the shame of their fallen condition was now obvious. It is a big deal. Conviction, we saw, is the nakedness of sin before God. The Bible is very clear. Drunkenness for the believer, drunkenness for the follower of God is prohibited. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Well, Noah got excessive, and uh, he got hammered, and he blacked out. Uh, in the process of blacking out, he, 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 he lost his clothes. Now, don't miss this. There's obviously a typical uh, a picture Right? There's a type connection through, through ham, you know, you can tie Ham's sin to that of sexual deviancy. Uh, but notice, the father's nakedness is mentioned first. It is interesting that in Leviticus chapter 18, the context in verse three is the doings in the land of Canaan. The doings in the land of Canaan, and so you're not gonna roll like the heathen, the Canaanites, right? So there's that interesting connection. And then the uncovering of, Le- of Leviticus chapter 18, it's defined. If you're saying, I don't know if uncovering means what you think it means, let me give you some homework. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 11, verses 18 through 21. The Bible explicitly calls it, right, sin. It's sexual sin. You do not get to be with your near relation. So there's a connection also between sexual sin and the old world of Noah's day. We saw that in Genesis chapter six. So there's a type, there's a picture here. Something in what Ham did, it's connected to sexual perversion. Second Peter chapter two verse four says, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to to be reserved unto judgment, Okay, what was the sin that was so bad that these angels got arrested and they got put into jail? They're chained, they're they're shackled with chains of darkness, waiting for judgment, and you gotta keep going. He's not done making the point. Verse five, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eight person. Oh, so we're talking about Genesis chapter six here. A preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood of the world upon the ungodly. And since we're talking about sexual perversion, here's the other example, Sodom and Gomorrah, who are destroyed over sexual sin. Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Man, you should not take a rainbow flag and say, God will never judge me. Read, this is what we saw last week, read the, read the fine print in the Bible, read it. Uh, these angels, Sodom and Gomorrah, stand as an example to those that would want to live ungodly. Jude chapter one, verse seven, talking about God's judgment, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, flesh that is not on the menu that God provided for you. So for the celestial host, what's on the menu? Nothing. When, you know, remember whenever the, 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 the religious rulers tried to trip Jesus up, here's a gal, let's just talk about a hypothetical. She's married, her husband dies, so her brother, the, his brother takes her to wife and this just keeps happening. 
when they get to heaven, whose wife will she be? Gotcha. And Jesus is like, no, in heaven it's like the angels, that you don't marry, you're not given in marriage. Okay, why, aren't, why don't the angels marry? Why aren't they given in marriage? Because they don't need to procreate. There's no need for their seed to be preserved. They have eternal life. They're already the sons of God. They already have this eternal relationship with the Lord. There's no need for them to have a help meet to replenish the earth, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Adam needed it because he's replacing Adam as the son of God, Luke 3, 38. He is to replace these angels that sinned because God's not gonna, God's not gonna have a family where he's lost at least a third of his children. It must be restored, it must be replaced. So they went after strange flesh in Genesis chapter six. They went after strange f- flesh in Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, this is an example that we would tremble over how we wanna live. Matthew 24, same thing, verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, it's a New Testament rendering of Noah's name, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So also, so, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So there's a connection, uh, right, between sexual sin and the old world of Noah's day. Ham lived on the other side of it. He saw all of it. Something is wrong, but Ham did what the text says. And remember, looking is out of bounds. We just saw that in Habakkuk chapter two. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Thou art filled with shame for glory. Be cursed, do you see that in verse 16? Thou art filled with shame for glory, and then what's the rest? It's a curse. So what's, uh, oh, I'm getting you drunk so that it's easy to get your clothes off so that I can enjoy you being, oh, are, what, God's, really? That's not glory, that's shame. And I wanna make sure you know it and you see it. Receive a curse. So Ham, something he's doing, it's way out of bounds. When he tells his brother, uh, something is perverse about it. He's glorying in something that should be shame. It's like the, I'll give you an example of how serious this is. The Old Testament priests, when they go up to the altar, they couldn't go up by steps. Why, because Exodus 20, verse 26 says it would allow people to see up the robes. You know, steps are dangerous place, men. You can't be looking up at steps because you know sometimes stuff ends up on display. Well, God recognizes that in Exodus chapter 20, and he says the priests don't go up by steps because we don't want anybody seeing. In other words, they didn't wear undies, okay? Everybody was really free uh, in their robes. So it's, but your nakedness before humanity should be covered, and so God takes that very seriously. Notice that Ham's brothers have God's heart in this. They don't take it lightly. His brothers cover him, they cover Noah, just like God covered Adam and Eve after they were beguiled. But in Genesis 9:24, Noah awakes, right? He wakes and he knew what his younger son had done unto him. And verse 22, if you're gonna go by what the text says, what did Ham do? He saw and he told. Those are your verbs, right? He saw, 
and he told. That's what the text says that Ham did. And it says nothing else regarding Ham. So whatever happened, at a minimum, it's perverse, it's disrespectful for Noah. On some level, he's got a Habakkuk chapter two mentality, and it's deviant. But please, okay, so you wanna infer from Genesis chapter nine that Ham, uh, Ham committed some deviant sexual act in that tent. You have to infer that. Uh, Nothing in the text explicitly says that, and so please, let me give you a warning. You cannot be emphatic from the text that there was some kind of sexual attack. This is how we learn the Bible, though. We learn by inferring. We learn by comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. We learn by comparing Scripture with Scripture. And some inferences are very strong. Like, some inferences, they're so plain, they're so strong, you'd have to say, you couldn't miss that. I mean, it's like the nose on your face. You can't miss that if you want to. But some of these inferences, you know, you gotta have 50 cross-references where you're just taking a word here and, uh, you know, a, a, a vowel there. And I mean, it just, it gets very tenuous. And then if you become emphatic over what you're inferring and then you're saying to God's people, if you don't see this, if you don't say this, if you don't teach from the Bible what I'm teaching, what I'm saying it says, you don't love God, you don't love the Bible, you're not a Bible believer, what are you doing? You're using teaching now to divide God's people. Heretic, that won't fly. Right, what, you say, oh man, that just got really strong. Uh, heresy is teaching that divides what Christ bled to unite. Be careful, let's make sure we don't do that. Let's be emphatic where the Bible is emphatic and let's give each other grace where it's not, right? Let's, please, we want to infer. This is how we learn the word of God. This is how we get insights into the word of God. But the more tenuous your inference, the less emphatic you should be about it, right? Your attitude ought to be, oh, here's something you might consider. It's, it's an inference, it's something I'm seeing in scripture but it's not worth getting into a fist fight in the, in, uh, on Miller Plaza, you know, the back alley where we eat on Tuesday night. It's not worth getting into a fist fight over in the back alley. Is this making sense? Because you can't know from the text in Genesis chapter nine that, that Ham sexually, in a deviant way, perpetrated some act. We do know that he was not sexually proper because we have Habakkuk chapter two. You just can't prove that he did anything in the tent. So why is, why is Noah so harsh, okay? Why is he so harsh with a curse? Well, you see the same principle. How, how many in this room have ever told a lie? Have you ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay, if your hand's not up, <laughs> exhibit A, okay? The psalmist said, I said in my haste, all men are liars. He could have taken his time and said it. <laughs> They're all liars, okay. In Acts chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira both lie, and God's response sets a standard for how serious the sin of lying is to God and his people. Be a truth teller, amen? It's a serious sin. And God says, okay, Ananias and Sapphira lie, uh, lie and they die over it. Who else does? No one else. I mean, I'm sure people have died for lying, but biblically, that's the only place that you see it. God is setting a marker, he's setting a standard. Well, what's happening here in Genesis nine? Here, dispensationally, let's back up and get the big picture. In Genesis chapter two, we see humanity in the age of innocence, okay? 
Uh, There's no sin imputed to humanity. After the fall, after God clothes their nakedness, what do we see? We see man operating under the rule of conscience. It's a consciousness before God and before man, and we saw that clue whenever we looked at the story of Cain and Abel. Do well, do right, it'll be good with you, right? Just do the right thing. Come on, Cain, this isn't hard. It's the age of conscience. Okay, what's happening now? In gen- what we're gonna see very next, we're gonna see the establishment of the nations of the earth. 70 families that make up the whole of humanity. This begins the age of human government, the dispensation of government. And this is in effect until God's chosen people begin to operate under the dispensation of the law. So this is the dispensation of human government. That means there has to be respect for authority. Here God is showing the danger of disrespecting parents. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, he confirms it. You see it again in Ephesians chapter six and verse two. And yes, even the danger of sexual deviancy in the land because, and we see Genesis chapter six, in those days, Right, we see the giants in those days of Genesis chapter six, and the text says, and also after that. And when the Israelite children go into the promised land of Canaan, what's there? The product of sexual deviancy in the line in the family of Canaan. How does anybody miss that? You can't. There are giants in the land of Canaan. And so don't, don't miss that. Yes, Noah is setting a standard. God's using him this way. So let's look at the prophecies and then we'll wrap up. So three prophecies for Noah's sons. Cain, Canaan, rather, is cursed. Cursed is your next blank. And why? Well, God already blessed Ham. We saw this in Genesis chapter nine and verse one. So he can't curse the one that God has blessed. Ham's, God's gifts, right, and calling are without repentance. So Noah's not gonna buck God. So the curse goes to Canaan. And in the process, of this blessing, in the, in the blessing order, right? It is interesting that Ham, or Ham's lineage in Canaan is listed first. And people will ask, does that mean he's the oldest? He's listed uh, second in the narrative list, and Noah calls him a younger son. Well, that could mean he's younger than Noah, obviously, or he's a younger son, he's not the firstborn. But here's the pattern. Cain is listed before Seth in Genesis chapters four and five. Ishmael comes before Isaac in Genesis chapter 25. Esau before Jacob in chapter 36. So what we're gonna see is the choice of Shem and the rejection of Ham. It's made very clear here in Genesis chapter nine. Canaan is to become a servant of servants. That is Ham's offspring. Now Ham, he's got other children, but Canaan is to become a servant of servants. Ham is the father of many of the Arab families and many of the African nations, right? The, 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 the black peoples of Africa. Ham would be an Arabic African forebearer. And you see that from Psalms 78. I don't know if this is in your notes, but you might jot this down. Psalm 78, verse 51. Psalms 105, 23 through 27. And Psalms 106, verse 22. Now, in terms of the known history of humanity, many Hamitic people have historically not been conquerors or colonizers. Some were, but most were not. Historically, many have been servants, a servant of servants. But particularly, what's listed here is Canaan. 
But this curse sets up this pattern, this idea of servant of servants. And the picture here in this curse is actually very beautiful. Simon of Cyrene, he's a black African, a a Hamitic, right, A, 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 a Hamite descendant. He carries Christ's cross. You remember who Jesus was in Philippians chapter two? He took upon himself the form of a a servant. Now this servant is being put to death. He humbles himself. He submits to death, even the death of the cross, this servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what now is Simon? He is now forced to carry the cross of Calvary. He is forced to be what? A servant of servants. Well, man, isn't that what God calls us to be? Aren't we told to take up our cross and follow Christ? Aren't we to be a servant of servants? Simon was literally a servant of a servant. The first person in the New Testament to be saved in a Gentile fashion was a proselyte Jew, a descendant of Ham, an Ethiopian, a servant to the queen, who becomes a servant of servants in Acts chapter eight. The descendants of Ham are a reminder and a picture to the church of who we should be. We're a reminder, right? The descendants of Ham remind the New Testament Christian of what we are to be. You are to be a servant of servants. Song of Solomon, chapter one, verses five and six confirms this. Solomon marries a black queen, the Shulamite, who is a type of the bride of Christ. She is one of the best pictures, one of the best types of Christ in the whole of scripture, and she's a black African queen. Just like Joseph, Moses, David, they all had Hamitic, Hamite wives. So what's Noah doing here? Noah, in giving this curse, he's also laying out the future for humanity. Noah saw what will be, but Noah also knew that Christ was coming. In Christ, there is no more curse. In Christ, there is no more curse. You cannot use Genesis chapter nine to justify racism of any form. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Guess what, in Christ, there is no red, brown, yellow, black, or white. We do not identify as Christians, as children of the living God, I don't identify as God, with God as my father, as a white man. Because what is, I mean, what is that to my relationship with God? I didn't pick it. There was, no, there was no line in heaven. I didn't fill out a form in heaven before I was born of my mother. Well, what race do you want to be, Sam? Well, golly, that's a no-brainer. I want to be white, of course. No, I didn't pick this. And God does not consider this. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white, we're all what? Precious in his sight. This is why I thank God for Midtown Baptist Temple. The peoples of the nation come together as what, or the peoples of the world, the nations of the world come together as what? One family. In, you know, in heaven, you're not gonna find a white section, a Latino section, an African section, an Asian section. Well, let's keep all the Koreans over there in that section. No, it's gonna be children of God. Remember the worship in, in Revelation chapter seven, the worship before the throne of God? from every tribe, every nation, what are they doing? Together, they're worshiping the Lord. I thank God for this church because every week, we get a little taste of heaven on earth. You ought to turn to your 
neighbor, your brother, your sister, red, brown, yellow, black or white, whatever color God made, that is secondary to who we are in Christ. In Christ, get ready, I'm getting ready to tell you what to say. In Christ, (laughs) in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female. We're not gonna divide over racial differences. So you ought to turn to your neighbor, you ready? And tell him, you're precious in his sight. (laughs) Now tell him, you're precious in his sight, you're precious in my sight, you're precious in mine. Okay, come back to me. Real quick, let's wrap it up. So Canaan is cursed, Shem is blessed, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. Every major religion on this planet has been founded by a Shemite. Uh, The Asiatic, the Oriental peoples are from Shem, just like the Jewish people are from Shem. And that will include our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a, a descendant of Shem. Japheth is enlarged, enlarged is your last blank. God shall enlarge Japheth and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. Japheth is wired to build, to expand. He, he builds empires. Most of the major wars, not all, but most of the major wards, wars are begun by a descendant of Japheth. Huh. The world economy, science, industry, history have been dominated by Japhethites, yet what does he do? He do I mean, he turns to Shem for religion. He shall dwell in the tents of Shem. He can't go it on his own. He has to have Shem for help. So these are general historical characteristics. They don't apply to any individual. In Christ, you're a new creature. Your old life has passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But I'll give you just a stereotypical example. Let's talk about the United States of America. Japheth came and conquered, dwelling in the tents of Shem. He came with Shem's religion. More than that, he dwelt in the tents of Shemites, the indigenous Indians of America. Man, we couldn't have made it without Shem. And what did, what did the Japhethites do? They brought in Hamites as slaves. That's the story of world history. And none of these people groups are any better than the other. They're just, man, humanity is under the curse of sin until we're set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then the curse is removed. This is why, we just keep saying, all of the socio-racial unrest in America and around the world over the last year and a half, over the last almost two years, the answer to those problems is setting right here at 40th and Walnut. In Christ, you're a new creature. Your old life has passed away. Do you believe that or not? Are we gonna be biblicists or not? In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, but one new man, man. I'm so glad to be part of Christ. I'm so glad to be part of the family of God. And then Genesis 9 ends with Noah living 350 more years. He still got the pre-flood lifespan. 950 years. Hello, somebody. That was an old man. But what's interesting is, is he dies just two years before Abraham is born. And so remember, we talked about how close the connection was between Adam and Noah, and now Noah and Abraham. Uh, the information, how God is to be worshiped, the sacrifice for sin that God requires, 
the idea of the tithe, all of this has been relayed to Abraham with absolute clarity. Why? Because he's very closely, Abraham is still very closely, in terms of generations, connected to the first man, Adam himself. Okay, so we covered a lot. There's a lot of information to cover there. It's uh, some, some wild stuff. How many would say, Pastor, uh, something in today's message, the Holy Spirit um, grabbed my heart and told me I had to pay attention. There's something that I needed to change in terms of my thinking. There's something that I needed to do in terms of my submission to the Lord. Or maybe it's something that I need to do in terms of submission to my fellow man, uh, to my brother or my sister in Christ. Uh, I heard from the Lord this morning. Pastor, would you pray for me that what God showed me this morning, I'd not lose it, that I'd not lose it in the way, I'd not lose it in this day or in this week or in the months or the years or the life to come. What God has shown me this morning, I wanna hang on to. Pastor, would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that here this morning? Pastor, would, okay, so, so I actually had a message for about 30 people, maybe, and the rest of you just kinda took some notes. Okay, well, bummer. Okay, well, I'll pray. And uh, what I wanna do is we're gonna close with some worship. If God is dealing with your heart, if you need help, if you have a question about what we covered today, and they may abound, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, if, if God's dealing with your heart, maybe there's somebody in your life that, that you need counsel or prayer with for them, okay? Uh, maybe you need to start as a disciple. Whatever that is, um, we're gonna pray and then we're gonna, we're gonna worship together. If God's dealing with your heart, if you want help, come on, we'll have some people down front, all right? Father, you see us, you see our need. We are like little children. And it's so easy for us to get off focus, off track, uh, to get derailed. And, and Lord, we'll get insight from your word. Your spirit will prick our heart, will convict us over something. And we'll agree. And then we'll get busy and we'll move forward and, and then we'll forget. And so God, I wanna ask that, that Lord, today you would do what only you can do. Take your word and apply it to our hearts and our lives. Uh, there's, there's hundreds of people in a room and all of us need something unique. We, we need to hear from you in terms of how your word applies to our life. And so God, we're trusting you for that this morning. God, have your way, we pray, with every heart. If there's any here today that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, they don't know that their sin has been dealt with, that it's been taken care of, that it's been born by Christ at Calvary, that your wrath over our sin was satisfied on that cross 2,000 years ago. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that today would be a day where they confess their sin and call on Christ in repentance for mercy, forgiveness, and salvation. God, would you save souls? Lord, would you, would you edify? Would you conform believers would you help us to grow in our faith that God, this book, it's your word. The Bible is your word, your very word. And we can trust every word. Lord, help us to be biblicists. Help us not to react to issues according to how we feel or how we think, but according to what your word says. Lord, when we have the truth, it makes us free. And so Lord, we're trusting you for that this morning, all in Jesus' name, amen.